I don't know how priests do it. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Before we begin, remember that you can ask us a question and we will answer it on the podcast at the end of the episode. You can ask us a question by emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. We are discussing the 21st Sunday of Ordinary Time with another potentially controversial reading. <laughs> yeah. But before that, how was your week? Father, you finished your first week of teaching y- high yes. school? Yeah, I was going to mention that. Uh I have a newfound respect for teachers. <laughs> Seriously. Previously, you didn't. Well, no, honestly. Previously, I didn't like them at all. <laughs> well, you know, I, I remember I had a I had a friend who, uh, you know, was saying that I remember he was very um, uh, presumptuous in uh, the things that he thought he could just simply do. And he's like, oh, you know, maybe I'll just teach, you know, teach. Mm-hmm. And he made the comment, like, teaching's easy. And I was like... Is it though? Is it though? <laughs> like you know, and, and um, someone else mentioned this to him. Like we were in a conversation, and they're like, "You have no idea, like how how hard teaching can be," mm. and that's always been conceptual to me. Uh, but this past week, I finally lived it. I'm yeah. teaching a class, high schoolers, seniors. Uh, the like when you actually teach every day, and you have to prepare something. You know, you're up there for 47 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, day in and day out. It's like, I'm, it's it's intense. And I'm only teaching one class. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it, it's even harder if you care. Well, that, if, yes. if you don't care, yeah. then sure. That's true. But if you right. actually, like, mm-hmm. want them I want to give them, like, something, yeah. you know? And so, uh, disclaimer, that's not the only thing I do at the high school that I'm chaplain <laughs> at. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm, I'm involved in meetings. I provide yeah. sacramental care. I, I do mm-hmm. masses every day, confessions. Hiring um, and firing. Hiring staff. and firing, yeah. yeah. Binding um, and loosing. Binding and loosing. No. <laughs> <Hey>. Ooh, good <laughs> segue. <laughs> um, but... In the past, most chaplains at this high school have not taught, um, and so this is mm. this is my way of being intentional to be in front of the students on a regular basis. Um, I just didn't realize how labor intensive it can be. Um, and then add to that, you know, all the technicalities of, you know, logging into you know the the program to insert their grades and upload assignments and you know all that stuff, which I don't like. Uh, I'd just rather get up there and like teach mm-hmm. what I want to teach, but. It's been um, it's been a challenge, a good challenge though. Um, high schoolers are high schoolers, but <laughs> most of them actually are engaged, like they're listening. Um, sometimes they drift away, and you got to kind of snap your fingers, be like, "Hey, hey, hey!" You know, focus on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but for the most part, they're respectful. Um, they're interested. Um, when I ask them questions, they know what's going on. Uh, so it's all good. Um, the other day, I ran out of material about. Like fifteen minutes before I before the bell mm-hmm. rang, and there's a there's a policy at the school. It's like teach until the bell, uh, mm-hmm. uh, te- teach until the bell rings. And I'm like, I don't know what to teach until the bell rings. So I just ran a, went on a rant on um, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis's friendship. Easy, yeah. I was just like, <laughs> pull that one out. Hard segue. Yeah. <laughs> you guys know Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which. They were actually interested in one guy. Um, you guys are reading *Mere Christianity*, right? Yeah, that's, so yeah. that's actually yeah. yes. Okay, the you, you got the you yeah. got the related part. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, but one guy was like, uh, "Like Tolkien, he, is he the guy who did *Game of Thrones*?" And Get like, out! <laughs> no, so actually, I had a good discussion about the differences of *Game of Thrones* mm. and *Lord of the Rings*, and how George R. R. Martin is kind of like the anti-Tolkien. Mm. Um, and that was an interesting yeah. discussion. Nice. Um, did you anyway. Tell, did you tell him he might need a minor in exorcism? Yeah. He's right. <laughs> <laughs> Leave no, that right? cliffhanger and the bell right. rings. <laughs> I know. I, seriously. Um, but that was, I mean, you know, literature is a passion of mine. And so I can yeah. talk about that stuff forever. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that, that's um, nice. that's been my week. Um, challenging but rewarding is, you know. Yeah. What teachers are expected to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> are expected to say. Maybe. <laughs> well, so Lee was, he taught at this high school for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Full time, like, you know, five, four or five classes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or six. Have you ever taught six? I taught six. Yeah. Uh, no. One 
one semester. That's a lot. I so believe. the normal load is five. Yes. And then teachers can take on an extra class. Or I heard one guy did seven one one year, um, mm. and I'm just like, mm. it's exhausting. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's intense. And it's, and and from what I hear, like the freshmen are much harder to deal with. Yes, I had freshmen and sophomores. Yeah, that's and so fun. I don't know if any of my freshmen are listening to this. Probably not. But <laughs> they were. Um, Actually, one of the worst classes, they said. Wow. <laughs> so, like, my first time teaching. That was your first my, year, too. My first year for these freshmen, yeah. and it was it was tough. And I Thrown I, into the pit. Right. And I didn't know if it was me, you know, them, yeah, yeah. or if it was – who knows what was going on. But teachers were like, no, no, this is a really rough this class. Rough. Wow. Um, that summer, before I began, I watched a documentary on St. Francis Xavier, as one does <laughs> mm-hmm. in the summer. And – I, I kept thinking about him while I was teaching. So I was like, you know what? He worked so hard, he died. You know, like <laughs> right, he, yeah. he was- my patron saint. He, yeah, he, right. <clears throat> I was like, he missionaried so hard, he died. You know, yeah, it was yeah. like, he just like was out there. He was, he was uh, what, in India, yeah. Japan, mm-hmm. almost China. And I was like, you know what? This, this is maybe how he felt. Because it, sometimes yeah. it's, it's rewarding. Yeah. And sometimes you just, it's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You just- Plant seeds. And yeah, you, mm-hmm. you teach and you hope you do your that best. Grow and right. God's and, great yeah. supplies. Yeah, you know you're exhausted, but yeah, you you just have to show up. I learned a lot of lessons teaching for sure. Yeah. But yeah, and that's um, you know, this past week also was a little bit more. It was different than other weeks because I was also covering um uh, a priest who was away, uh, his parish. He had a seven a.m. mass, and so before I went to the school, I did the mass. Mm-hmm. Then went over to the school, um, and I remember last week when I was just prepping for this week. There was part of me I was like, "Like, it's gonna be a long week," but I was like, "You know, it's good. It's good. Like, you know, pouring yourself out, and especially as a priest, like this is what you know you're called to do." And so, yeah. it's been it's been challenging but rewarding. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if like other than like straight up resentment, I don't know how priests do it. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, how do you go through a week with that, like those good types of challenges, not like hard things, but then looking back and being like, yeah, it was worth it. Like, it, like, mm-hmm. like you don't, you don't go through a week being lazy and feel like you'd accomplish anything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'd rather not do this. I'd rather sit on the couch all day, but then immediately after you regret it. Yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. doing the hard work. Yeah. It sucks, but. Immediately after, like, yeah, that, I mean, that, that felt like it meant something. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's very meaningful work. Yeah. It's tough, but meaningful. And you'll, you'll get consolations, you know, here and there. You know, a student will, will yeah. have, a, you'll have a good conversation with a student, or a student mm-hmm. will be like, you know, I, I changed my mind about, you know, the church or mm-hmm. about God, or I think God does exist, or, mm-hmm. you know, gives you a little, a little something. Yeah. Hopefully, you don't but, say, Father, after this class, I'm going to be an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> well, you never know. But this is also Matt's last podcast with us for yes. a little while. Yeah, that's we right. We eagerly await mm-hmm. the return. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From here on out, you're going to hear like uh, like when your neighbors play music too loud, just like <laughs> look in the yeah. background because I'll yeah. be making music next door, next door. Right, right. So yeah, our studio where we're where we where we are recording is technically the Matt Hylam Studio. Yeah, and it's your recording space is right next door. So, yep. That's great. But yes, we w- we wish Matt well. I said it, it's yep. it's not like we'll never see him again. But no, no, he, we'll, he's, but Matt's gonna be pretty busy. He said. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Album and other endeavors. Yeah, we look forward to your return, like a like like <laughs> like in a dark sp- spot, awaiting the light of day. Well, what is that? Like a like a morning star on the fifth day. Right. Look to the east. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> sure if you were quoting St. <laughs> Peter or Gandalf. I think both. I, I got, was, I got yeah, that. Nice, nice. Yeah. A little hybrid. Who's, who's, who's to say? Like, what's the difference? <laughs> right. What's the difference really in the end? Who can Gandalf say? the first pope. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So for my part, I watched uh, the Little Mermaid for the first time. The first time. The the, the, the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. I've, I've never seen the cartoon because. You're a boy. Why would I? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. No offense, but I just, you know, as growing up, I, like, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. really see the appeal to a lot of Disney movies. You know, um, like princess movies. Yeah, and right. Yeah, right. sure. It's just, mm-hmm. when you're six years old, it's not really something yeah. you want to see. Yeah. Um, but I guess now that I'm married and Sarah wants to watch them, right. I watch them. <laughs> uh, 
good. It's good. Good cartoon. Yeah, I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. now I can appreciate it more than if I was six. You know, there's some good symbolism. Yeah. There's a particularly interesting scene where, um, you know, Ariel, she signs off the contract, you know, the, mm-hmm. if she can win over. Um, yeah. I forget the, his name. The Prince, the Prince, Prince, Prince Eric. Prince Eric. I have not seen this movie. Maybe like twenty. I thought years. it was like a more exotic name in Eric. <laughs> <laughs> <Juan> Pablo. <laughs> like, um, I left Theon. <laughs> yeah, right. Too much Lord of the Rings. Um, so you know, the win over Prince Eric. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, Ursula gets her soul. Yeah. Get, gets her voice, or it gets her soul because she yeah. has her voice in it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Then, uh, oh gosh, I forget his name. It's a Poseidon. <laughs> <laughs> King Trident. Trident. Yeah, Trident. Yeah. Which is like Poseidon shows up. He finds out. <laughs> Trident finds out. <laughs> and he's like, I you know, I can't believe this happens. I'm gonna destroy the contract. And he goes yeah, right. to destroy mm-hmm. the contract with his Trident. Yeah. But the contract can't be destroyed. It's you know, it's like the yep. his laser beam or whatever uh-huh. <laughs> shoots out of the Trident. <laughs> King laser beam. As you're describing the movies because it gets like weirder and weirder. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's the it's, it's sort of um complicated about what exactly does the trident do because it can apparently do like right. a, a lot of different can things. it really yeah i don't remember yeah he's like healing stuff and making things show up yeah and, whatever, and like raising things and it just yeah. glows and, it, and it, wait is the yeah. trident like the symbol of the trinity yes triforce trident sure try trinity i don't know yeah okay. <laughs> anyway i'm sorry no yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you know the trinity and then his two hands the human and divine nature of christ joined temporal and spiritual yeah, power yeah, right. <laughs> Well, oh, we'll get, well, we'll get into that. Don't worry. <laughs> so he tries to destroy the contract, but the laser beam bounces off. Okay. And she's like, oh, like Ursula says, like, you fool, yeah. like, you can't destroy this contract. Mm-hmm. And it's it was an interesting, um, I think, moment ta- uh, exemplifying <laughs> law and authority mm-hmm. that, like, even the king can't destroy this contract. Like, there's something above the king. Mm. Right. Okay. That can't be violated just by mm-hmm. his own will. Yeah. Right. Like he's like an oath. He, right. He's mm-hmm. bound to something higher than himself. Right. Yeah. Right. Um that even though it was you know, maybe she was tricked into it or she didn't know, it's like it it's still a signed document that you can't just destroy. So I guess it in a way it shows that he's a good king. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's because right, at first right. he kind of seems a little bit like a tyrant, but that he can't nullify he won't break it. the rules. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. exactly. And that brings me to today's reading. Oh, perfect! Wow. About <laughs> law, <laughs> about law and authority, because uh, in today's gospel or, or in Sunday's gospel, uh, it's the famous passage where Jesus says, "You know, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am?" Peter says, "You are the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of the Living God," and then Christ gives uh, Peter the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, but it made me think about the nature of authority. I think mm. we'll we'll eventually get there to talk mm. more particularly about that, but that authority rests on a principle outside of itself. It's not mm-hmm. my authority is bound by the authority within me. Mm. So the question of how does Peter have authority, or how does the church have authority, is because of Christ's authority, and Christ exactly. has authority because he is mm-hmm. the God Man. This is this is that's exactly right, and this is I th- I believe it was Peter Kreeft who once said that um, one of the common misconceptions about the church today is that the church has too much authority, uh, and you look at Protestant denominations where that might be on the face of it, uh, you know, the power is given more to the people perhaps, mm-hmm. but Kreeft said it's actually the opposite. The church has less authority. And this is why it seems like the Mm. church is always stuck in the mud, because she doesn't have the power to change things at her whim. Um, He said the best way to understand the church is to see it as um, God's mailman, Mm. right? Where it's given the power and the authority, like you said, comes from Christ. And the Pope is simply the the steward of of the visible body of the church. Mm. Um, There's... It's it's actually a, like a, a less authority than you would imagine, mm-hmm. um, if you understand the church correctly and, and authority within the church. So, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> uh, no, that's um, that's it. That's exactly it. And because I think the main theme of Sunday's readings are kind of authority and stewardship, right? So from the first mm-hmm. reading from Isaiah, 
is also a common reading that's connected to uh, this passage Mm -hmm. in Matthew, and some people think Matthew was thinking, when he was Mm -hmm. writing his gospel, was thinking about this passage from Isaiah, where a unworthy steward is deposed and a worthy steward is put in his place. Mm -hmm. And um, he's clothed with this this robe and this sash that give him, that are a symbol of his authority, and that he will receive the key to the house of David, which, mm. you know, he, <clears throat> what, when he opens, no one shall shut, and when he shuts, no one shall open. Mm-hmm. Yep. So very, the connection yeah, <laughs> to yeah. Matthew is, is pretty obvious. I yeah. give you the keys to the kingdom. What you yeah. bind shall be bound on, you know, what yep. you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Um, but I, I also um, was thinking about the, the, the symbolism of, of the key as a as a symbol of of authority or of, a, mm. uh, of authority, mm-hmm. and I I think it's a very good one because when you think of like a master like Keysmith or something like that, it's actually the key in a sense that has the power, mm-hmm. and not the person, right. because mm-hmm. the key is the thing that opens the door, mm-hmm. and without if you take away the keys, right, you can't open, can't open the door, right, so. The idea is that the key is is the symbol of, of stewardship, that you don't have the power without this to do what you want. So you're entrusted with this thing. Right. Essentially. Yeah. I don't know what you think of mm-hmm. that, but No, that's yeah, and that I think that's that's exactly what I think what Christ was getting at and saying that um the church doesn't have the authority per se. Um it holds the authority which was given to her by Christ. Mm-hmm. And so whatever the church whatever authority this church seems to have, it's coming from a higher source. And so uh, John Henry Newman talks about this too, like the development of doctrine. It's not like the church randomly comes up with these ideas, Mm -hmm. but it's actually thinking about um, what has been revealed to us in Christ through scriptures, through the tradition, and then developing that idea, um, you know, for our modern times, as it were, Mm -hmm. you know, to use simple language. Um, and so the the church really never creates anything just out of the blue, um, right? Because she doesn't have the authority to do that. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have the key. She is not the key herself, right? She holds the key, like right. you were saying. So, yeah. Uh, and I I I think that that idea that that the the authority does not lie within uh, Peter himself in the papacy uh, in the bishops uh, is implicit. Um, in the text itself, when Peter is the one to proclaim that Christ is the Son of the Living God, right? Um, and then our Lord says, "For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father." And so I say to you, you are Peter. Upon His rock I will build my church. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. It's not by Peter's own merits. It's mm-hmm. not by his power that our Lord says, "Yes, you are fitting," you know, for my church. But rather, it's something that's beyond him. Even uh, even Christ says that in another spot in Matthew, where he says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. So, like, it's like Peter's emulating even what Christ does and pointing back to the Father, being yep. like, "The authority comes down to me, and which I pass down to you." Yeah. Uh, there's a great. This is not part of the readings. Did we mention that this is the 21st Sunday in ordinary time? I, th- I thought it at the beginning. You might have. Okay, sorry. 21st Sunday of ordinary time. You're A. There you go. Um, but this is um, uh, a passage I want to just mention by Peter. First um, Peter um, chapter 5. Um, again, not part of the readings for this Sunday, but I think it's very fitting. Peter is writing to the presbyters, you know, the quote-unquote authority figures of the church. And he says, Tend the flock of God in your midst, overseeing not by constraint, but willingly as God would have it, not for shameful profit, but eagerly. This is the important part. Do not lord it over those assigned to you, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd is revealed, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. But I love that phraseology. Do not lord it over those assigned to you. Mm. And that reminds me too of when, you remember the sons of Zebedee, James and John, their mother goes to our Lord and says, hey, have them sit on your right and left. Yeah. Uh, and he says, do you even know what you're asking? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you drink the chalice that I will drink? Mm-hmm. And he says, they say, we can. Our Lord affirms that they will indeed drink it, but then says, but, uh, man, uh, he says, the, 
the the rulers of this world lord it over their servants and make their authority felt. And he says, but it will not be so among you. Mm. Whoever is first will be last, last mm-hmm. will be first. And that's like the model for all, all authority in the church mm-hmm. is the, the higher up in authority you get, uh, the more of a servant you become, essentially. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, this is another um, fascinating thing with people who get upset with the church's hierarchy, especially people who are advocate, advocating for women priests, mm-hmm. you know, saying like women should be in power. It's like, you know, going back to the Gospels, do you even know what you're asking? Mm-hmm. Like, the priests, this is, and this is the ideal situation. The thing is, it's not always lived out in practice. But the priests and the bishops are the servants of the people. And so to be a priest is not to have power, but to be a servant. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that's almost, if you understand it that way, there's really no argument like to say, like, well, why can't women be priests, you know, if they want to be in authority? It's like, what are you asking? You know, mm-hmm. what, how do you see... The priesthood, you know, how do you see the hierarchy? Um, is it to lord it over the people and make your authority felt, or is it actually to be last, mm. right? So, anyway, that, those are some of my thoughts. With um, uh, would that be eisegesis? No, you know, I'm bringing in other scripture. <laughs> <coughs> no, I, I think I think it's totally fine. Obviously, I mean, you know, you Anything hear, goes, you hear right? people <laughs> do it in homilies all the time. <clears throat> Maybe it's more of a sermon. Sermon as opposed to a homily. I'm, but. I'm not giving. This I'm not saying these same words on Sunday. So, no. um, I I wanted to ask you guys about the the line, the passage: "Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed <clears> in heaven." It just kind of harkens back to the Our Father mm-hmm. when He says, "Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven." Mm-hmm. So, like, what is what is it exactly that? What is what are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Like, what is it? What is it exactly that Christ is giving to Peter? Um, mm. My first thing that I was just looking at this kind of phenomenologically in the way that identity <laughs> is is perceived, mm. um, and the way that the patterns above are revealed. You know that the patterns below mimic the patterns above, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, as, yeah, on Earth as it is, in correct, yeah. right? And insofar as that you're the you reorient your embodied life to participate in the divine pattern, that's that's when you have like complete union with Christ. You know, like that's that's kind of the whole point of life is to order yourself to the patterns of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it means to say, "Thy kingdom come on Earth as it is in heaven." Um, but it seems like there's something here about uh, identity and saying that mm. having the keys to be able to shut in and out what is identified, mm-hmm. there's there's something that there's an authority given to to Peter and then therefore the church that allows things to pass through into the identity of the church or be shut out from the identity of the mm. church. No, exactly. I mean that's yeah. that's how certainly. Um, the tradition has interpreted this binding and loosing is is a part of the actually the uh, excommunication and communi- mm. and bringing people back in. Mm. So excluding people mm-hmm. and bringing them back into the fold. You know, you have the whole was a Donatist heresy with Augustine. So when yes. people fall yeah. away, how are they mm-hmm. brought back in? So right. it's right. the power right. to forgive sins or to not forgive sins, right. or the power to bring people into communion or exclude them from communion. Mm-hmm. So you said this this opening the door to let. In right. and shutting the door to right. keep out. Yeah, yeah the simple analogy of a key is like that's what that's what a house is. Like a house is defined by its walls. Yes. And so it's like you have the ability to increase the identity of this thing or to decrease its identity, mm-hmm. to cast out yeah. or to let in. Well, connecting to the first reading, it's I will place the key of the house of David. Right. So if yeah. you, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, analogously the house of God, mm-hmm. the, the church of God, right. you know, you can take a physical church and locking the church doors or opening yep. them up, What you know, Whatever it is. And even beyond the members of the church, also the ideas and uh, like things that make the church Catholic in its identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what kind of architecture and art is even right. allowed, right? Right. Uh, all these things that the church embraces as beautiful that it finds within the culture and says this is actually something that is worthwhile and keeping mm-hmm. and preserving. Um also, while making the distinction that like, this is not <laughs> this is not of yep. the good, right? Um, that's a really good way to look at it, actually. Um, 
and it, it gets at that idea of um, a, a Catholic identity, a universal mm. identity. Yeah, um, right. Making again, making those distinctions between good, not good, what is beautiful, what is not beautiful. Um, right. It's like when people say, like, uh, you know, Christians just kind of stole pagan holidays. Yeah. It's like, aside from the fact that that's not necessarily accurate, like, of course, the church being the universal church is trying to incorporate every aspect of the way we've attempted to worship. But then it has the authority to say this comes in, this goes out. Mm -hmm. And so like there, there have been other people in their attempts to um, incorporate the world and its phenomena into their religious practice. And so we, Peter, the church has the authority to say this belongs, this does not. And so we're co-opting this and that stays out because that part, that, that fits nicely into the way that Christ has revealed himself to us. Mm -hmm. you know, and so they just, they can do that. <laughs> That's what right. the keys are. Yeah. And if you do that without the Holy Spirit, <laughs> uh, you're going to get it wrong. You know, right. the, the mind tends to err. And so this is why there is a certain level of trust that we give to the church saying like they know best when, you know, they're preserving culture when they are telling us about morality too, you know, in faith, in matters of faith and morals, um, their binding and loosing is infallible. Uh, and so there's a certain level of trust that we have to have knowing that the church is more than just flesh and blood, right? right. Well, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but right. my heavenly father. Right. So. I, I think that point of trust and authority is very, is very important because, you know, if you, if you work backwards, and say, well, why why would I place my trust in the church? And in, the idea is because its foundation is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So you have to answer this question that Christ posed to them: is who do you say that I am? Yeah. And if Christ is one of the one of the prophets, then maybe you don't have to trust his authority. Right? Yeah, exactly. But if he is who, if he is the Christ, the mm -hmm. Son of the Living God, mm -hmm. then maybe you should put your trust in the authority that he has given to the church. Exactly. Right? Yep. But that's a question you you have to you have to answer for right. yourself. Otherwise, right. it will remain another human institution, like mm -hmm. you said. And, and yeah, as exactly. you know, over the last three years, trust in authority <laughs> and institution. Yeah. yeah, you know that's disintegrates rapidly. <laughs> right, right. I'm trying to find um, uh, when our Lord uh, calls his the twelve apostles to himself. There is, let me see, I think it's in Mark. No, maybe it's in Matthew. Now I can't find it. But essentially, this is a passage that's read on a lot of the apostles' feast days. And our Lord calls the twelve to himself up on a mountain. Mm -hmm. And then he, then the, the, the gospel writer will, he names the twelve apostles. And what's fascinating, uh, what I've always loved about this passage is that uh, it begins with this image of Christ calling them to the mountain. And so there's this like symbolic hierarchy that's present. And you can almost see how the Father sends Christ, who then sends the 12, who then goes out into the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's this beautiful, like, you know, immaterial spiritual authority from the Father embodied in Christ. And then Christ gives it out to the people. Right. And so that that symbolic um, hierarchy uh, is that's that's what the church is. Mm -hmm. So I'm just I can't remember now if it's I'm trying to search it, but it yeah, it, it's in. I'm trying to think as well, but it, it's in Mark. Is it in Mark? Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. I'm in Mark ten. Doesn't I'm derailing the topic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I I I think um, the idea that the church is supposed to be uh, this continuation of the of the incarnation is an idea that has always struck me is that as you said Christ calls the apostles to himself and sent and sends them out is that the body of the church is meant to be the event of the incarnation drawn out through time mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be like you said this Im Im embodied or visible sign of the mission and work of the father Mm -hmm. In the Son and, and the Holy Spirit, I think that's that's always been a a, a helpful and intriguing idea as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like that it's it's the visible hierarchy is not meant to be for power, 
sure, certainly that that happens. You know, yeah. yep. there's there's a there's a shadow side to 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 every you know to all things, but that it's it's meant to be a visible and tangible representation of, of the whole mission of God the Father through mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Yep, and that's and that is the the wisdom of God, and this is what I think our second reading is getting at uh, from Romans. Uh, Paul says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given the Lord anything that he may be repaid? And it began, the first line in that reading is, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his judgments and how unsearchable his ways. And I think that it fits nicely with the gospel insofar that Paul is talking about a wisdom that is beyond flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about institutions that are man-made, like all institutions are, it, it, it does lean on its authority and power. You know, um, sometimes institutions are no bigger than uh, the man who's founded the institution. Uh, but that's not the way that God works. Uh, and so, you know, I have a quote from Chesterton here uh, that I want to read, uh, talking about Um, the hierarchy, or the power of the church, and why it's endured for so long. So this is a quote from Chesterton. He says, All the empires and kingdoms have failed, mainly because of this one inherent weakness, that they were all founded by strong men and upon strong men. But this one thing, the historic Christian church, was founded on a weak man, and for that reason it is indestructible, for no chain is stronger than its weakest link. So that's just... Chesterton being very um, commonsensical mm-hmm. <laughs> with the, the chain analogy. But um, I yeah. think it's very fitting, and it just works really well. Uh, that, that the fact that the church was founded on they, – they weren't founded on kings and princesses, right? They were right. fishermen. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you, when you first meet Peter, he's brash, crude. Uh, you know, he's not a believer. He, you know, at the crucifixion, he's not there. He betrayed our Lord, um, denied him three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet that's the, the rock. That's the rock on which the church is built. Mm-hmm. And I, that just, again, speaks to how Paul said, how unsearchable are, are the Lord's ways. Mm. Uh, this is not something that man could have come up with. Uh, and it's, as Paul says later, it's, it's when we are weak, and that's when Christ is strong. Right. And so the church is, yes, human, insofar that it was founded by Christ, <clears throat> who is fully human, mm-hmm. but it's also fully divine. And... The, the church is working best when the, its leaders acquiesce their own power and interests mm-hmm. and say, I'm just going, you know, I need to work on my weakness right. <laughs> and let Christ work through me. I think about my own uh, fatherhood as a parallel to priestly fatherhood um, in my own house that insofar as I think I can maintain my household, my church, because I am capable or because I'm powerful, it fails, right? Inevitably, you know, like corruption happens and, and something, something slips through the crack. So it, the, the maintenance and the prosperity of my ch- domestic church is hinges on me being able to admit that I'm weak, mm-hmm. primarily, which means that I have to seek grace above, right? So like mm-hmm. it, it inevitably puts me in a disposition that I have to look up in order to fulfill my role as leader and yeah, keys totally. of my kingdom. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I can imagine um, being married. If you do, if you twist this idea of the man as the head of the house and you're looking at everything through the lens of power, then your relationships with your children and your wife are just going to be frustrated. Yeah. Especially like I can imagine like communication with your wife. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're, if you're approaching conversations with her through the lens of power, then everything she says is going to be interpreted as, is she trying to slight me, right? Yeah, you know, sure. Is she, right. Is she trying mm-hmm. to undermine my authority? Yep. And it's just going to lead to chaos, right. absolute chaos. Yeah. So, and then, yeah. and then it breaks her trust too because if she's, she doesn't have trust that my authority comes from somewhere else. And if it's just coming from my own volition and my own ideas of how things should be run and I'm not actually pointing to something higher, then it's like, why would I trust you in the first place? Yeah. And then authority breaks down. Right. Well, you, you become very much tyrannical. Yeah. It's like, I right. 
it's it's my own will that creates this. My mm-hmm. own will creates the power that I have yeah. over you. And that's not <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not a great I, family dynamic. I just had that conversation <laughs> with my daughter. She's five. Um but um <laughs> authority comes from above. <laughs> well it was it was in in the context of her uh lying and I was trying to explain to her that I'm not I'm not telling you to tell the truth because I feel like it. I'm telling you it's be, because of the way you will become. Like you're not going to be able to trust people because you're going to see through the lens of your lying behavior. Um, and so in a sense, I'm pointing, I'm saying like my authority comes from something outside of me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm pouring myself out and saying like, I'm also weak. I'm also trying to be honest because this, these are not my rules. These are something that's outside of me. Um, yeah, because otherwise it would just be do what I say because I said so. And then, and then you just have an immediate, but wait, I say otherwise. And now right. you have right. conflict. Well, right. and that's from, from your family to, <laughs> to the church. That's, that's exactly the, the issue I think people have is who are you to tell me right. what to do? I mean, that's, you know, like archetypal examples. Like if someone, some stranger told you not to do something, what right. would you say is immediately, who, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> yeah. like, 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 help, come again? Like, yeah. And I think that's, uh, the question that people have for the church sometimes is when the church says, it, you know, it's, it's wrong to do this, or mm-hmm. you shouldn't do that, or we can't stand for this, right. is, well, they're just kind of making it up as right. they go along. Right, right. You know, it's, it's like a power dynamic thing, mm-hmm. or they're archaic. Mm-hmm. And it's to your point, as mm-hmm. you explained to your daughter, I, I'm not just making these rules right. up. Like, I, like right. this is coming from something I merely else. have the like, keys. Right. Right. I didn't build the house. Yeah. Right. Like and I'm, I'm trying to pass on something here that's going to make everything better. Trust me, yeah. like not just like <laughs> yeah, not yeah. just because I think it'll be you. right. Yeah, but there's um, and I think that's the tendency. This is what Verveke talks about: the hermeneutic of suspicion versus mm-hmm. the hermeneutic of beauty. Um, I think when people uh, butt up against some of the rules in the church, their immediate reaction is one of suspicion, and the question that comes to mind is why. Why does the church say this? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't the church get with the times? Shouldn't the church X, Y, or Z? And it's to tear down. Uh, there was a great example I heard of this where if you're walking in a field, to use a parallel um, example, an analogy, imagine you're walking in a field and you just come across a fence and your immediate reaction is, this should just be torn down, right? Like, mm-hmm. why is this fence here? And you can't understand why the fence is there. And your, you know, your view... It's a clear field. Mm-hmm. Why is the fence there? You knock it down and you find a raging bull on the other side. Mm-hmm. Then you understand. And so there's really some, I think a lot of people, it's just unfortunate that they don't take the time to understand why something is in place. Right. You know, like when you're telling your daughter not to lie, maybe she can't see the bull on the other mm-hmm. side. But can she trust you saying like there is a reason, right, Right. that you're saying this? Right. And, and is, there, is there a reason analogously now to the church saying like, all these rules and morale, like all these morals, what is the point of all these things? The idea, though, is that like I live my life in complete outpouring, so that she under she subconsciously observes my character in that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying she would never be able to trust that there is a bull on the other side because I said so, unless if she knows that that's my character. Right. But if I'm living my life tyrannically, then it's like, well, this is just one among many examples in which you're sub. You know, pushing down your authority just because you feel like it, mm. yeah, um, right. and she picks that up at five. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's really early on that the the kids start to recognize, like, well, I know who you are as a person, so I don't have any place to trust you, or which otherwise. is why, you know, which is why the scandals in the church are so right. poisonous. Yes, yeah. because you know, here are mm-hmm. these men telling us to live a certain way, uh, making their authority felt, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they live totally contradictory right. lives, and so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting too because I would like to believe that, like these scandals in a church, are not as scandalous in in the the strict sense of the word, meaning a stumbling block to mm-hmm. belief. Because it's like, okay, well, can't we separate the teachings of the church from the actions of mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, of of its uh, members? Right. On one hand, yes, but on the other hand. I don't think it's that simple. That's a lot to ask of of a child of a household. You know what I'm saying? Like, as an analogy, it's like, like, well, your parents love each other, but, you know, can you abstract (laughs) 
yeah. your parents from the rules. And right. Like, that's a lot to ask. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, at the very least, you know, I, I sympathize um, with the, those who are scandalized. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe on a logical level, you can say, well, yeah, like, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, if someone who is uh, a horrible, immoral, like, womanizer mm-hmm. uh, says one plus one equals two, that doesn't mean one plus yeah. one equals two is wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, logically yeah. It makes sense, yeah. but that's yeah. yeah, that's not how we operate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the example that you were giving, Matt, I think uh, it is really good on on two levels. One, the, the like the the relationship between a parent and a child is like the, the parent has so much more perspective on life yeah. than the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And I think that's what the Pope, you know, mm-hmm. Papa. From you know the Latin, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. like is like the father of his children, the church, and he's right. trying to say like, I'm trying to tell you there is much. There's a bigger perspective. Mm-hmm. You, you hear me saying, "Don't lie," right. and it's well, that's just because like he wants to control me, or right, like right. he just made up that rule or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, I'm trying to tell you that I have much more perspective than you, and if you continue down this path, it will be to your destruction. Right, right. And the same thing with your your daughter mm-hmm. is like, I'm I'm not forcing this on you. I'm just telling you. This is your perspective. Mm-hmm. It's small, and I have right. a much larger. And I'm telling you, right. I've seen it. I've seen you know people much older than you do this, and it has ruined their lives. Right. So don't do it. That's <laughs> what I've. That's kind of like what uh, inspires me the most when I hear the church speaking on her authority is like in that light when it's like, you know, you should go to mass on Sunday. It's it's you know, it's a mortal sin if you don't. Not because we said so, but it's for you. Right. It's because mm-hmm. one should worship on Sunday. And we're making it a requirement. We're saying this is part of the identity of the church with the keys because it's for you. Yeah. And, like, you may not see that now. You think we're just imposing a rule, but it you are it is for you. All right. And that's yeah. what I – yes, I was going to mention that. That's a good point that, you know, it could seem like this is very top-down, like, because we say so. Yeah. But there is a rhyme and reason for what the church holds. Mm-hmm. And, and it's embedded in nature, you know, as somewhere else in Scripture says, like, the, you know – what I enjoin on you today is not too remote or mysterious for you. You know, mm-hmm. it's in your hearts, right? Uh, that's from Deuteronomy. Thank you. It was, it was in the <laughs> office the other day. Was it? Well, or recently? Yes, it was. So. Yes, yeah. it was. Uh, daytime prayer? Yes. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and, and so the, this authority is just not some like immaterial thing mm-hmm. floating in the ether that we just have to trust. You know, I, if if you want a reason for it, you know, if you're going to question it, mm-hmm. there can be natural, you know, reasons why right. why the church holds these things. Um, but, you know, when I say question, I don't mean to question it in like this skeptical hermeneutic of suspicion way, right. but wonder at it. You know, that's mm-hmm. healthy to be like, why does the church teach this? Teach this? Come at it with naively and, mm-hmm. say, like, and try to actually understand what the church is getting at. Uh, that's the healthiest yep. way to 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 um investigate what the church is going after so yep yeah i mean ultimately it is this revelation from the father it's you know it's not mm-hmm. to say it's like well flesh and blood has not revealed this to you and it's not to say like well you know you can't seek natural explanations or right. or are a bottom up mm-hmm. view mm-hmm. or you know consult the prophets but ultimately it'll snap together with an act of faith yes and revelation yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. totally but that's it's it's just a purely natural means may not get you all the way yeah right to the yeah. full revelation of who uh, Jesus is and and the nature right. of the church yeah exactly and I think it's it's kind of it could be very tempting to just be like well naturally all these things make sense yeah but we're looking at it in hindsight mm-hmm. uh, we're looking at it from like after Christ has shown a light on human nature. And we're like, well, now that makes sense. It's like, yeah, but that's because Christ revealed mm-hmm. the Father to us. And so without that revelation, man could have never gotten to these things Yeah. Um, by his natural reason, reasoning alone. I think, uh, not to, th- this is not to throw like Jordan Peterson on the bus, but this reminds me <laughs> but, a little bit of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, like the way he speaks about Christ, it's almost as if he's speculating, like maybe he's John the Baptist, maybe he's Elijah. Like he does, like he's there. He has all mm. these natural means to get about what Christ is, and all of these phenomenological and scientific and 
uh, archetypal ways to represent Christ. But it takes Peter who makes the act of faith, not from just more scientific data, but something that was revealed from above to make that leap of faith. So flesh and blood only gets you that far to that, you know, let's act as if God exists. But like as Peugeot would say, like the way you do that is worship. (laughs) Like, you know, ultimately you have to make that proclamation and it's not just from flesh and blood. It's not going to be from science or looking at Jungian and archetypes. Like it, you get, that only le- gets so far before you have to make that leap. Right. It's um, as Pope Benedict would say, it's inadequate. In his um, Jesus of Naz- Nazareth series, he looked at this this passage, the the gospel that we have today, and kind of analyzed the the people's opinion of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, "Who do they say they are?" And he says that it seems that there is an external knowledge of Jesus that is not false, but inadequate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he said, oh, right. he's like John the Baptist. He's like Elijah. He's like Jeremiah. That's true. Yeah. He is like these figures, and he is a prophet. Mm-hmm. But it's not, not, the whole en- picture. It's not yeah. enough. And he says, yeah. and it, it appears that there's a deeper knowledge that only happens by discipleship, mm-hmm. by accompanying Jesus mm-hmm. and walking right. with him. And that's how... Um, Peter knows him, right? Is because he he has seen Christ, you know, calm the storm and the miraculous right. catch of fish yeah, and, yeah. and the the feeding of the five thousand, and that that's how he knows mm-hmm. this revelation. Not just he said, well, he's he's like all these other things, you know. Right. He's, he's sort of like Buddha, and he's sort yeah. of like he's Confucius a great teacher, and like and it's, yeah. right. He he has a particular experience of, of God that mm-hmm. we can learn from, mm-hmm. and right. so do other people. It's like no, no. He's he's trying to describe something very unique, yeah. about mm-hmm. God. Yeah, that's right. different than other people, and yep. that it's in that spirit, that admission of that Christness of of Jesus, um, that being the Son of the Living God, that He builds the church. It's not yes. like this church is established because I have the best psychological rules. This mm-hmm. makes the most sense. The wisdom passed down from the ancients. It's like I've got the best version of this, and that's what I'm building my church on. It's like no, it's built on I'm the Son of the Living God. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's the best way I've heard this. Um, uh, what the four gospels are about? It's who is Christ, and how do you follow him? Mm. And that second question follows from the first. If Christ is the Messiah, Son of the Living God, then you either follow him, or you don't follow him, and you're haunted by Christ for the rest of your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, there's really no in between. And so, someone like Jordan Peterson. Where he's getting at these natural um, uh, attributes mm-hmm. of Christ, and he's looking at it from a, you know a psychological perspective and um, archetypical blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will only get him so far, but he will be haunted by Christ for the rest of his life. Like, who is this man actually? Mm-hmm. You know, and when 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 he's pushed on it, you see this. It's not I'm not just speculating, but you know, in interviews when you push him on a question of Christ, he starts to like tear up. Yeah, and it's like. Yeah, follow him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's what that's that's the question he's butting up against. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an, but that is an act of faith. That's like something beyond, like you said, flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. So. Right. But it's <clears throat> it's as Pizarro said. It's like you have to like it, to to act as though he exists is to be to his disciple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you right, know, right. is is to worship him, um, and not just kind of, again inadequate speculation about yeah. The other things he's like, yeah, exactly. As opposed to who he is. If That's... you act as though he exists and you're not worshiping him, and that means you equate him to John the Baptist, Elijah, or yes. another prophet. That's yeah. the whole point. Is that if you take him at his word, then right. you have to. You, you, the next step is inevitably worship. Yeah, That's um. I might have made this point on a previous episode, but uh, Sheldon Van Auken's um, "Severe Mercy," on um, that book. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a friend of C.S. Lewis's, and he, um, in this book, he relates his conversion story, and he said that he was kind of like Peterson, where he was like intellectually accepting Christ, and he saw the Christian worldview as beautiful and uh, very uh, utilitarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he said that it was one night where he like it finally clicked for him. He said that if he were to just walk away and said, you know, I'm not going to become a Christian. Uh, he would have to make a leap of faith saying like, what if, what if it's actually all true? Right. And so like, again, like you either follow Christ or he haunts you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You either make the leap of faith saying, I will believe that you are the son of God and I'm going to follow you 
or I'm going to make the leap of faith and say you're not God. Right, right. And, and so you're kind of like Christ challenges you. Like as soon as you encounter him, you can't escape him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's like I think that's part of him. Like what it means for God to assume human nature is that like he invades every part of your life as soon as you encounter right. that, that Christ question. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I had. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll finish with another Pope Benedict quote. From his encyclical, God is love. Um, I've, I've quoted this before, but it's, it's such a great quote. Um, uh, Pope Benedict says, Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with a, an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decis- decisive direction. Mm-hmm. So I think this is exemplified in, in Peter is that he's had these encounters, he's had these experiences, and the culmination of those experiences is in the question and answer, who, who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's able to say, Christ, Son of the living God, because of everything I've seen, because mm-hmm. I've followed you on the way, and I've been your disciple, and I see who you are, yeah. as opposed to, again, the ones who listen but don't follow, mm-hmm. or who study but don't follow. Yeah. They come to, you're one of the prophets, but I've seen, I've encountered you, and therefore I believe. Yeah. And I think without that encounter, uh, without that relationship with Christ, the church does kind of remain a, like, who are you to tell me what to do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it becomes, it's just on the level of nature. Right. And so, but, you know, even the fact that the church has stood for 2,000 years shows that there's something more than um, nature here. Mm-hmm. Something supernatural. So to answer that question, who is Jesus Christ? <laughs> and how do I follow him? <laughs> That's right. That's our challenge for next week. Uh, get baptized. Mm-hmm. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, is that all? Any last thoughts? That's it. Yeah, that's all I have. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And remember, if you have a question, you can email us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. And we will answer it on the episodes. Yes. Goodbye forever. (laughs) 